I'm Megan. I'm Tyler. And this is The Office Hours, the podcast where two literature professors analyze the great American story. Hey, Tyler. Hey, Megan. How are you? I'm good. I'm excited to get into what I think might be one of the most pleasurable episodes of The Office. Wow. I know. Define that category, most pleasurable. Just makes me smile and laugh a lot. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, this one. I, re- I rewatched this one a few times just because it makes me laugh. Yeah, it's delightful. The episode we're on, by the way, is season three, episode 12, Back from Vacation. Um, yeah, what a title. Yeah. It's an unusual title. Um, it is. Any case, uh, yeah, I do feel like this episode is a primary reference point for you. I think, I feel <laughs> like you mentioned Sandals Jamaica quite a bit. I think <laughs> the, the image of, um, you know, that we'll discuss at length of uh, Michael and Jan uh, at Sandals yeah. is one you refer to a lot. And uh, it feels to me like it's an important part of your mythology in some way. It is. Tyler, I've got to tell you about a little a little fantasy that I have developed. And that is that you and I end up on a beach vacation somewhere together and we have to reproduce that picture. Yes. And you are gonna be Jan and I am gonna be Michael. Yes. Because I feel like I am leading you into this wonderful world of the office and with it, Sandals Jamaica. And I love this. So I think I think for the pod, we really need to get that picture. I love this so much. I feel like maybe we should set up a GoFundMe or something so all of the <laughs> listeners can send us the sandals, uh, you know, and we could pod from there, you know, come on. Yes. Oh, that'd be so great. You know, I, it was not until this episode that I figured out which sandals Jamaica they're at. Oh, you did. You so it's real. Sandals Jamaica, there are multiple locations. Okay. But in this episode, he mentioned that the lady Levinson wanted to go to Montego Bay. So I think they were at the Montego Bay sandals. Okay. Because there's maybe like eight sandals Jamaica locations. Really? Surprisingly many. I did not, number one, didn't know it was real. Um, And number two. Oh, it's very real. He says she wanted to go to Montego Bay, but hadn't he already bought the tickets before he invited her? He had. I don't think his claim had to do with what Jan actually wanted, but the way he got it, got it, got it, got it, got it. Got it. Story. Okay. Fair enough, fair enough. And I'm getting ahead. Of, I'm getting ahead. But yeah, this is this is also an interesting episode because one thing that I feel like you enjoy or that we've talked about is when the office opens beyond the office, when we get glimpses of the outside world and especially mm-hmm. the outside world beyond Scranton. And while we don't physically go to Jamaica, Michael brings Jamaica to us, and we do get minor glimpses of this outside world, which was very, I don't know, it's interesting when the universe expands in this show. Yes, yes. Two, Two things. One, in an earlier episode, Michael... Uh, refers to Jamaica's largest freshwater pool. But it turns out Sandals does not have Jamaica's largest water pool. The one problem is I actually don't have a date on when this pool was built, but at least according to the internet, Jamaica's largest freshwater pool now is at the Grand Palladium Jamaica Resort and Spa. Mm. And if you look up pictures, it is an enormous pool. 
Grand Palladium Jamaica Resort and Spa, who are now sponsors of this podcast. Let's yeah, 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 yeah. Sponsor us, sponsor us. But Whoa. related to sponsorship. Whoa. <laughs> oh my <laughs> lord. I know. Have you yeah, ever been just... to Jamaica and or to one of these resort type places? I have not. I have not. Have you been to Jamaica? Me neither. I've never been to Jamaica and I've never been to like an all-inclusive resort. And we got to get to sandals. <laughs> so I'm politically, you know, and ethically and morally opposed to them until somebody <laughs> until pays for me to go. <laughs> yeah. And I'm, and then, you know what? I think it's an interesting cultural experience. Totally. <laughs> I, should I, have... Have <laughs> I know we're still in the, before we get to the official episode part, I do have one more question that's about sandals because that we've had that in the last couple of episodes too. So this might kind of tie together some strands from the different episodes. And that is, I'm curious about whether these episodes kind of function as effective product placement with sandals. Ooh. Like, oh. what do you think this does for the sandals brand? <laughs> well, I mean, clearly it worked like literally 10 seconds ago. You and I Googled it and I'm like, I want to go there. <laughs> so, <laughs> uh, so I guess it did good things. I mean, and not for nothing, Michael comes back refreshed and, you know, uh, he's had, he's expanded his cultural horizons, uh, for yeah. the, possibly for the worst, but whatever. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, I don't know. I mean, it doesn't come off like, um, like wasn't it, didn't you tell me they were work Chili's was worried that the show was sending the message that they'll, you know, serve you until you can get drunk or something. And they, Oh yeah. Yeah. Like that's why they had to have that, that guy who was an actual Chili's employee say the thing like that they kicked out Pam. So it's not like it's just a drunk fest restaurant. No, I don't get, yeah. I don't think I get any, uh, any negative uh, vibes here. I don't know. I mean, except for Pam's justified, you know, minor pointing out that like these resorts are basically, you know, exclusively for colonial subjects coming from you know uh the whatever like you know uh, uh very you know wealthy places and then you know the actual indigenous folks can't enjoy these spaces and it's an impoverished country like she says that very briefly but not enough in any way that you would be like hey wait a minute sandals is the problem not the solution <laughs> um i don't know so yeah i don't know i think it comes off pretty so good, in fact, that I didn't even think of it as a commercial. So, damn it. Yeah. And I didn't think of it that way either because it doesn't feel that way at all. And I, you know, when people want to have a celebrity ambassador for their brand, yeah. you want someone who associates coolness with it. Right. And I got to say, I don't feel like Michael makes sandals seem <laughs> i don't know i just don't know what kind of ethos he kind of gives for sandals it doesn't seem entirely desirable so i feel like this is this is kind of a mixed bag for sandals i i totally disagree i think <laughs> you know the exuberance and the glee that michael displays uh, it just makes me want to be a part of it, you know, but maybe I'm remembering because you asked me, I think last episode, like if like, did you ask me, would I go or who yeah. I would take? 
And um, as I was re-listening back, I was like, yeah, I would go in a heartbeat with Michael Scott. Um, (laughs) And uh, I don't know what that says about me, but. You're supposed to be the one who has all these problems with Michael. (laughs) Our entire show has been destroyed uh, because now I enjoy watching the show. But I will say like some of the cringe is in this episode and it came back and it's painful for me. I mean, it, the pain of it goes away when you rewatch it a few times, but know, <laughs> it's still the wounds are still fresh. They're there. Well, Tyler, before we get all the way into it, should we do some revisions and regrets? Let's do it. You got anything for us this time? Uh, oh, last time I said that I was going to potentially revise and regret my thoughts about uh uh, bacon grease and how I don't save it for cooking. Um, you know, and honestly, like I thought I might get a wayward text or email from a, from a friend or two who listen to the pod and who are, you know, um, culinary all-stars, but nothing. What I believe. Silence. So I. People you described as frontiersmen. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, so yeah, maybe that's why I didn't get a text. Anyway, I just, uh, I listened to it and I was like, you know what? Own it, Tyler. Like, you're just not a person who, uh, who saves bacon grease. And so I, I'm, I'm revising that I thought I would have a regret. Uh, so I shamelessly own it. Nice. Nice. Okay. What about you? I like that. Revising that you thought that you would have a regret. Okay. (laughs) This is good. So I have, I would say, two items. One is just a line edit. <laughs> do you ever find, do you ever listen back and be like, I said that so weirdly, or like the way I said that didn't make sense, or this was maybe a couple episodes ago, but I, I noticed I listened back and I was, I referred to Michael as her or, or she or something like that. I'm like, that's a confusing mm-hmm. sentence construction. But one of them from last week was that... <laughs> I talked, this is also on the note of goose grease. Um, <laughs> and I was trying to say that one of the common questions that comes up on the internet is something along the lines of how good is goose grease for you compared to olive oil and butter? Like a kind of comparative health question. But I didn't preface it clearly that that was one of those, here's, an, here's a question that people ask on the internet things. Um, so anyway, just a clarification there. The other thing that I said I would come back to was a question you raised and that was was ryan a little bit sexy in the last episode benihana christmas part two yes the answer is yes <gasps> I, I went back i went back and i watched and i'm prone to hating ryan but uh yeah he really showed some charm in this episode i thought in the karaoke he was singing alanis morissette with great commitment and enthusiasm and i love a man who loves alanis and knows the words <laughs> i also thought he was cute when he kelly was singing karaoke to him the we belong together song and he was getting very stressed out by that and he just kind of like looked away and very quick just like was drinking kind of downing his margarita and i thought he was very cute in that moment too yeah so that's that's what I've got. I had in my notes actually for this episode. Uh, yeah, in the opening um, cold open, I wrote Ryan smiling. Dot dot dot. So <laughs> uh, maybe I have a crush on Ryan. I don't know. 
I think you might be getting a crush on Ryan. I mean, he has won the hottest in the office award from Michael. So dick though, but the less he speaks, the hotter he is. So there you go. You know, Michael and you share that as well. (laughs) (laughs) A lot of commonalities emerging. Tyler, I also have something for you for the supply shelf. I had a patent experience. All right, let's move from accounting over to, yeah, the supply shelf. Let's go to the supply shelf. Yeah, so I wanted to um, share this and talk it through with you. I had, so we talked a lot about the pilot. Let me make sure I get the whole title correct. The Pilot Precise V5 Rolling Ball Extra Fine Pen. And we both adore this pen. So I was on a plane and I was trying to edit an essay. And I think that these are the key pens when you're doing editing and making comments for yourself. And a purple one exploded on the plane. It got all over my hand. Mm. So I mean, Mm. I acknowledge these pens are not without their flaws, but it was like, it had sort of started leaking into the cap and I hadn't noticed it. And then it was all over my hand. But have you ever had this this dilemma where you're like, this is such a wonderful and valuable pen that I don't want to just throw it away. So I had two options. I had this little pretzel bag and I'm like, okay, I could just put it in the bag, throw it away in the lady's bag when she comes down the aisle for the trash. Or I could spend a lot of time trying to clean it off and redeem it. And that's what I did. And I wondered if the person next to me had thoughts about what I was doing and the level of effort that I was putting into this pen that looked beyond redemption. But I I came away with it and it is still working. It is still with me. So that's my pen story. I'm wondering if you also came away from that experience with perhaps a renewed sense of um, compassion for your co-host and my, you know, various struggles with ink stains and exploding pens due to user error, as you once called it. Uh, Yeah, I I didn't, I didn't (laughs) with any of that. Um, I I still think that that is on you. Damn. I think that this was necessarily on me, but um, yeah, I'm sorry. I, I maintain my, maintain my position, operator error. Um, for you but it was it was a challenge to navigate and my hands were very purple yeah, um, yeah yeah but i managed to keep it off my clothes off my bag off of everything so uh i have an update i did purchase a new laptop bag um oh congratulations thank you it's uh, got a floral pattern on it i'm very i really like it i'll send you a picture but uh i have yet to purchase a like a pencil case or a pen case. Okay. So if you or any listeners have one to recommend, uh, I am in desperate need. I have yet to use the laptop bag because I don't want to get ink oh, wow. on it. Um, so anyway, yeah. But yeah. I am taking I am taking steps towards personal responsibility uh, okay. and ink accountability as um, as Megan desires. So um Tyler, I actually started doing a little research last week. I started searching for a pencil case for you, but I did not find the perfect thing that I was 
looking for. And so I'm like, is there a way to custom make a pencil case? Uh, this is not an industry that I am a part of, unfortunately, but um, I've been thinking about you and your pencil case too. And I, I'm glad you are taking steps moving forward. Thank you. Thank you. Um, but I like that you said, unfortunately, as if you would like an alternate career in pencil case design. <laughs> I would. I would like that. Pencil case sales. I don't know. Anyway. <laughs> Yeah, not sales, but I think I think I'd be interested in the design, design and production side of things. That makes sense. I'm curious from a, a listener perspective. Listeners, please write in. Hey, is, supply shelf, is supply shelf wonderful or painfully boring? Yeah, 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 yeah. I'm, yeah like, and, I'm coming in with a story about a pen. And I have I I have the desire, especially um in the next few episodes because I was watching ahead you know to prep a little bit and mm -hmm. uh one of these episodes is going to have a real um close-up on the vending machine and its offerings mm -hmm. I was thinking we should move to the break room to discuss snacks before oh. the episode <laughs> starts yeah. but so I'm like if our listeners hate this stuff we need to know so there was nothing in our mailbag uh on my end I don't know if you got any messages I no, but I mentioned something to somebody the other day about having a strong pen preference. Mm -hmm. And they were like, I didn't know people could have such strong feelings about pens. I was like, what? What was this person's career? Who are you? It just, I don't know. I don't want to criticize them on air. Okay, 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 okay. But I'll just say I was surprised and it was interesting to me to be like, oh, there are people in the world who don't care that much about what pen they use and who don't really have feelings about it. That's mystifying to me as mystifying as those who like follow sports, you know, I, yeah. can't, I can't understand it. <laughs> well, confu confusing categories of people in the world. Exactly. <laughs> okay. Tyler, would you like to hear the summary? I'm ready. Okay. As a reminder, the title is back from vacation. And here's the NBC summary. Michael accidentally leaks a racy photo Karen fumes when Jim drags his feet. Yikes. Fumes. Well, fumes. that feels a little bit overkill. Um, Michael, Michael's having a lot of image, imagery-based problems lately with his uh his Christmas card and now his racy photo of Jan. Oh, that's an interesting point that like, man, I hadn't thought about that. That like he'd gotten in trouble for an image and now. He's getting yeah. in trouble again, but in a more public way. And uh, and in some sense, he wants this image to replace that previous mm -hmm. image. Like, here's an actual vacation that he took with the woman. Um, yes. Oh, my God. God. Damn, Megan, you are smart. I didn't even see that. Um, Your point, though, that, yeah, this isn't both are vacations with women. This is an actual one. Which on the one hand is worse and has bigger consequences for it to get out, but is also in some ways maybe really important for it to get out because then people know he took a vacation with an actual woman. Mm. Mm. Well, before we get to that, I want to make a bold claim. Please. I believe that this cold open is in the top 10 of all office cold opens. Yeah. Really? Yeah. I okay. think this is. Describe it for us. And uh, tell us why. Okay, so um, so it opens up, and you know Michael is away on his his vacation, and so Jim is running the meeting, 
Um, and in the meeting are Dwight, uh, Karen, uh, Ryan, Phyllis, uh, Andy, Stanley, right? Anybody else? I don't think Pam's in there. Um, and uh, anyway, so um, Dwight is recording the meeting um, because mm -hmm. Michael's on vacation and he asked Dwight to record all meetings and to type up the transcripts. And so then what Jim does is kind of pretend that Dwight is um, you know, initially taking off his pants, um, sexually harassing him, that he has a knife, then that he's completely nude and holding the knife to Stanley's neck, uh, then that he's wearing a baby's bonnet, um, that uh, Dwight is trying to get Jim Carrey's autograph, uh, Karen suggests he has a Muppet Babies tattoo, uh, which Jim says is right. It's an animal tattoo. Dwight, meanwhile, is frantically trying to say, no, this isn't happening. You're a liar or whatever. And then Andy uh, is the climax of this scene in which he says, I am now chopping off Phyllis's head with a chainsaw. And after an awkward beat goes ring, 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 to do the chainsaw noise and a beautiful cut to uh, the office. Um, credits so that is the basic gist um <laughs> of what's happening why is it the best or why is it top what did you place it in top six top ten i think it is okay it's just so damn funny to me in every respect like and so so first i think okay underneath it all for me the the humor and the cringe is twofold but okay. Um, number one, it's like Dwight kind of his frantic desire to correct the record and the, <laughs> the way in which the group playfully bonds by teasing him in this way, that to me is like inherently funny and mm -hmm. relatable in a way um, in that Dwight is taking this joke like way too seriously, which mm -hmm. is always his way. But then... I also, I feel like it's a very relatable <laughs> experience to see a kind of like um, joke that circulates within a small group and people are tagging on it and building on it. And you're trying desperately to find your way in because you have to, to be a part of the group. Yeah. And it's difficult to know the thresholds between like what's appropriate and what's too far. Yeah. Yeah. And so Andy... <laughs> And he's saying, I'm now chopping off Phyllis's head with a chainsaw. And everybody's look of horror and shock um, <laughs> is so funny to me because it's like, I, I feel like I can relate to the social awkwardness of not hitting it right. Like it's a wave yes. and you miss, you know, catching the wave in, in the right way. But then yes. also like Andy misreads the situation where everybody is talking about what Dwight is doing that is absurd and ridiculous. <laughs> But Andy makes it about himself, what he is doing. So it's like Andy's own kind of narcissism gets in the way of his getting the positive affirmation of being in on the joke and teasing Dwight, which he would like to do. Like yeah. he he's always competing with Dwight. So he misreads the situation thinking that the goal here is to top the ridiculousness of what they're saying Dwight did. And <laughs> then to, to make the ridiculous thing that you do murder and specifically <laughs> like murder of Phyllis specifically yeah. the chainsaw is so over the top and 
and amazing, but it also like seems to like against himself suggest an aggression against Phyllis right. so out of bounds and so <laughs> like of all the people to target Phyllis the last one and so like you know they're, they're, they're going after Dwight because Dwight is like being this like excessive rule follower and toady right and that's why they're targeting him Andy targets Phyllis because I think he perceives her as the meekest and the mildest, the weakest of the bunch, mm. uh, which is to totally misread how teasing should go. And, yeah. Um, anyway, so, okay, so that's the underlying part of it. And then I just think it's funny the way it unfolds and the pacing of it. Um, and uh, yeah, those are my thoughts. Oh, Tyler, I love it so much. I love it. You're right. I could, I could relate to Andy there too. And you can kind of see as the other people are saying things, you see his eyes shifting around and watching them and him having exactly that feeling you're describing of wanting to be able to jump in. But one thing we see here is how like the, the complicated subtlety of the social rules. And so you can really see and understand people who don't, get them actually because Jim is saying things about Dwight being naked and about sexual harassment he says that Dwight is holding a knife to Stanley's neck yeah you're right I kind of wondered about the choice of Stanley and if it was partly because Stanley is the most disconnected one and it was kind of to try to rope Stanley into it a little bit but like what so yeah Andy's definitely seems more extreme and yet at the same time it is a little hard to pin down exactly what those rules are for what goes too far. Yeah. And it reminded me of the time when they're in the parking lot in the fire episode, when they're playing the game, who would you do? And Michael says, I would definitely have sex with Ryan. Yeah. And so there was that shift. I remember in the, language too from like who would you do and having it in kind of a jokey tone to I would have sex with and it taking it then way too far so I felt like they sort of there was a kind of resonance between Andy and Michael sometimes in that not quite getting the subtlety of how to join in and how to do banter in a way that doesn't totally alienate people right 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 also, I wonder, on the note of tattoos, I wonder if anyone has an office Muppet Babies tattoo. Oh, my gosh. Okay, we're going to have to Google that. Um, yeah. Yeah, we I enjoyed that reference uh, quite a bit. Um, I did, too. Did you watch Muppet Babies as a kid? I saw it some. I don't remember if I watched it a lot, but, yeah, I have some familiarity. Uh, yeah, I remember watching Muppet Babies, and uh, uh, yeah. I was kind of disappointed with Muppet Babies because... Did you ever watch, you remember the opening credits? No. Okay, well, in the opening credits of Muppet Babies, you have the Muppet Babies, like, reenacting a number of different, like, famous scenes from movies, like Star Wars and Indiana Jones. And in particular, like, Baby Kermit is running away from a massive boulder, like, in Raiders of the Lost Ark, a movie that I am starting to suspect you have not watched. Oh, no, I have. What? Okay. Yeah, yeah and... Tyler, I have more experience than you know. <laughs> okay, you know what? I was wrong, and I... um 
and and I apologize. Yeah, you can revise and regret it next I'm, time. You yeah, can spend I will. Some more time I, processing it. I'm ashamed. What assumptions you were making about me? <laughs> uh, but anyway, it always disappointed me, you know, because I was a, a you know a, a very young child and confused. So I always thought because the opening credits had that scene of like little Muppet Baby Indiana Jones that every episode would have that in it. And like it did, you know, because it's like a clip, like a clip show, you know, in a in the opening. Anyway, this is a random tangent, just to say, I was an idiot as a child, uh, <laughs> and didn't understand how uh, uh, opening credits work. But nonetheless, uh, I don't think anyone's asking that of children <laughs> to understand how opening credits work. It's okay, Tyler. I also had okay, just one other quick like in window into Tyler. Mm-hmm. I don't know if I've ever told you this, but I remember believing I thought that when people died in movies, they died for real. Um, yes. And did I tell you this? Yes, but uh, go on. Yeah, and I, I, thought that actors, <laughs> I thought that actors had to choose which uh, oh. they would like choose, you know, it's like, oh, this is going to be my last performance. <laughs> because they died for real. And I remember like my parents or somebody having to explain to me like, no, 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 they don't actually. My last performance. <laughs> right, anyway. Actually, that's, that's kind of a fun question to think about. Like what movie, if you were to have to die in a movie, like an existing movie, yeah, yeah. what movie do you think would be worthy of your last mm. performance? Or even to do it with actors. Like I'm thinking mm. for Leonardo DiCaprio, for example, what would have been the best movie for his last performance? And would it have been Titanic? You know, that most dramatic and most memorable death. I think so. I mean, what what could rival that you know would have died young and the world would have lost a lot (laughs) do you like the late leonardo dicaprio are you a fan of his most recent uh performances um i love him always (laughs) (laughs) okay fair enough um i was you know i was of the era of uh girls who were like 12 when titanic came out so i've just went for leo at the time and stuck with him ever since despite you know all the 20 year old models on yachts and whatnot <laughs> i i find it okay uh, i don't i don't know if i want to air this opinion <laughs> this is a big sidetrack anyway so i just get uh, it's crazy to me every couple of years you know he's dating you know somebody but all of these models are over the age of 18 and the cultural discourse is as if he is a pedophile and i'm like hmm. You know whether or not there's anything problematic here and certainly it plays into a you know patriarchal structure in which older men can be with younger women and not vice versa like i totally grant that it's it's like but i get so frustrated the way it gets described as if these women are not full adults who are completely exploiting him potentially you know like i just the idea that that these old actors are like you know, I don't know, sucking the lifeblood away from the young, as opposed to the young yeah. being like, yeah, I'm going to take their money for a year and I'm going to get all this fame and then move on. Like, come on. Anyway, whatever. Yeah. Um, yeah. That's a, that's a great point because there is this underside of it where it like totally, it, it's a kind of critique. that's totally disempowering to women and treats young women. Like they have no agency and no choice. And, um, makes a lot of sense to choose to spend some time on Leo's yacht. 
I mean, I don't know. Maybe I'm just jealous. I'm just jealous. Which I'm connects, like, connects back to our discussion of sandals, Jamaica. You know, yes, it's a nice. If Leo wants to take us, to, if he wants to rent out sandals and take us, we're going. Yeah. Oh my God. What if it turned out that Leonardo DiCaprio was a listener to our podcast? Like, <laughs> like what? It's not insane to imagine that we have some random, you know, just like one hipster famous listener, you know, that we've been. Famous people like The Office. Yeah, they do, and like they listen to podcasts, and they probably, you know, I'm just who who can say? All right, now we're in. Yeah. Leo, if you're listening, <laughs> we're interested in having a uh, more extensive relationship with you. Uh, now we should really be talking about Jim Carrey because he's the one that walks in and Dwight is supposed to get his autograph. Did you have thoughts on Phyllis going to Jim Carrey? <laughs> uh, I, I thought maybe it was because it was someone where Michael would be really jealous if Jim Carrey came to the office. Oh, that's brilliant. You know? Oh, that's good. Cause you're right. He has a comedy, uh, comedy, you know, thing. Well, uh, comedy. Yeah. I think I've exhausted what I have to say about this opening, except I have, two questions for you number one at the is the very opening shot before we go into the conference room is there like a close-up of some sort of uncle sam yes all i was wondering what that is and then i also wanted your sense of whether this cold where does this rank for you is this top tier middle of the road bottom cold open i think it's great i think it's great i totally agree I did think it was interesting that starting with the Uncle Sam, and we've seen that before. I think it's actually behind Angela's desk on the filing cabinet because we've seen it before. And it is just interesting. You start from this very America, you know, patriotic kind of image before going into the scene. So back to our, you know, this being an American story. Um, Brilliant. I think that this is... I, I love this cold open. I think it's really, really funny. I think there's something interesting too about the idea of recording as a way of documenting truth. Mm-hmm. And so Dwight thinks, you know, he's going to capture the real thing. Like the purpose is to get what's actually happening, but then the recording becomes completely untrue. Mm-hmm. So I don't, I don't know if there's just something kind of going on there with the idea of the whole show also being, a documentary with the all the the stuff with imagery that we've got with Michael too, with like how do pictures, what kinds yes. of stories and truths do pictures tell? Yes, you know, can he say that uh, Jan is just some German woman who is uh, happens to be at the resort and looks similar to her? Um, yes. Yeah. Okay, that's brilliant. I had not thought at all about the parallel between. Dwight recording and then they are being recorded by the documentarians that mm-hmm. is just so smart and then yeah oh my gosh like I, it did occur to me at one point why didn't Michael or Jan just say oh he photoshopped me in and like you know basically discount right. the um authenticity of the photograph in that way and he, I think he that clearly he clearly has a history right. <laughs> like it's not a real hard sell maybe. like literally two episodes ago that, that and that Jim <laughs> said I used the phrase photoshop you know as a verb and so it would have been possible so but I think you're onto something really interesting there about what the record does and does not mm-hmm. or you know, how, how 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 much can it be manipulated or yeah because the audience yeah, the question: How much can it be delivered? And and Dwight keeps saying, "Let the record show." Yeah, 
I am not doing this. Let the record show. We've talked some before about how the characters tell their own stories and kind of what they say or don't say in interviews and how they try to represent themselves to the camera. So there's something there too. Yeah, just about that idea of how do you how do you play around with that idea of let the record show and what it picks up. Okay, so then we get Michael's triumphant return um, <laughs> announced by the phrase, hey, Mon. Now, Megan, didn't you know that when I say, hey, Mon, you're supposed to say, hey, Mon, back? Like, that's what happens at Sandals, Jamaica. <laughs> so that's important for you to remember. Uh, <laughs> so Michael comes with a bunch of, like, lessons, you know, for everybody. He wants... Um, you know, I don't know, them to be like more relaxed. Um, what does he want? I don't know. He wants a luau. He is just not interested in like doing any work, which is a shame <laughs> because it is um, it, inventory time, right? Which yeah. he was hoping to escape. Um, but yeah. instead he wants pina coladas every day at three um i gotta give it to michael i think that's a great idea it's so great <laughs> um and he's gonna turn the inventory into a luau a little slice of paradise to the dunder mifflin warehouse inventory um yeah he wants uh oh and i love this line how hard is a luau all you need are some grass birds <laughs> pineapple poi tiki torches suckling pig some fire dancers that's all you need um he wants the attitude of no shoe, no shirt, no shoes, no problem. Uh, <laughs> In the office, no shirt, no shoes. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and um, yeah, so so this is the setup before he um, gets on the phone with Packer and everything goes awry. Uh, and <laughs> I think the one thing that I would highlight here, you know, but I'm, I'm curious for your your whole take on it is. Um, you know, I just love the way that Pam deflects him. Like, you know, she's like, he's like, hey, mom. And she's like, hey, you have a bunch of messages. And just is like so matter of fact in all of her. I thought her interactions with him were very, very funny. Yeah. Uh, and I also really loved when he pulls up the, um, you know, the, the, the first photograph. And they all realize that Jan was there. In his one-on-one, -on -one, he says the following, and I thought this was an incredible um, uh, Michael Scott performance, uh, Steve Carell mm -hmm. performance. He says, Jan told me to play it cool and not <laughs> tell anybody because it can get us both in trouble. So officially, I did not see her, but I did <laughs> see Jan there you know, <laughs> at night and in the morning. That's all I'm going to say. Sex. We had sex. I had sex with her. I had sex with Jan. And I just, I don't know, man, it was so funny the way he has initially starts out with a kind of candid, um, seeming self-insight uh -huh. uh, and instantly undermines it with this like, <laughs> childish, boyish, like, uh, glee to tell the world he's had sex <laughs> and specifically <laughs> I think you're right. Just an amazing performance for Michael Scott um which I kind of think throughout this episode he's so good and so funny um 
yeah, he just, he, he cannot contain what has happened. He cannot contain his exuberance about Jamaica. I think one of the things I always adore about this episode is when he comes in, he's got those beads in his hair. He has this little set of like one little strand (laughs) of green, yellow and red bead. And it looks so (laughs) idiotic. And it's the kind of thing like little girls get that, not (laughs) adult men with short haircuts. It's just, (laughs) and he kind of goes in front of Pam and, you know, as he walks in and he's like shaking his head in front of her for her to notice this little tiny, I'm guessing it's a braid. Usually like those are at the end of a braid, but his hair is too short. You can't even see. It's like just the beads. It's just, oh, there's something so perfectly Michael Scott about it too, because it's so, I don't know. It's like awkward and tacky and weird and endearing and sweet. Yeah, yeah, yeah. (laughs) I think it's all of those things rolled into one um a couple of other notes on things here in the section hannah quit i'm thrilled uh very happy for that news <laughs> wow did you have any feelings about hannah leaving because of some complaints she had about being a working mother <laughs> whoa <laughs> uh i'm gonna revise and regret uh <laughs> Uh, I I do not endorse Megan's. I, I feel like, yeah, I was gonna say I feel like you're already implying that I should revise and regret. Yeah, it. no. I just to be clear to all listeners, I do not support my co-host <laughs> uh, and her her statements do not reflect on me or my employment. <laughs> yes, always true, always true. Uh, no, I just uh, well, I thought I, I gotta tell you, I thought it was like kind of um, on the one hand, I thought it was very funny that mm-hmm. um, I'm trying to find where Pam says uh what is the phrase oh uh, she goes that's nice hannah quit while you were gone i guess she memoed some file or to file some complaints she had about being a working mother and so you might also have to be deposed (laughs) Uh, and he's like blah 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 and so i thought it was funny in the context of his cavalier attitude with the potential severity of like a lawsuit against the company because of michael's actions Mm-hmm. At the same time, I, you know, I think I've mentioned this before. I, I thought, I thought it was kind of, I don't know. I mean, it's hard. We'll have to like think about this when we get to the end of the season, but there is a bit of me not loving the shuffling around, like going to um, Stanford, then bringing everybody back and then like kind of unceremoniously getting rid of people. Yeah. I don't know. It felt like very, I don't know, just moving deck chairs around for the Pam Jim story uh and so i was a little disappointed i I have to say i thought there could be there were funnier things to do with hannah Mm -hmm. uh, and we got stuff with two of the guys from stanford but uh i know you hated her and i know you hate all working mothers um and uh you know so no i don't whatever that's all i have to say as you say you know i take i take some controversial positions but yeah, you, I'm sorry, you think they could have done funny things with Hannah? Not really. As I said it, I was like, I don't even mean this. I just I just want to look better than you. <laughs> <laughs> I'm trying to drag you down into my... Uh... She wasn't funny as a character, and they didn't give... But, they, you know, I mean, the actress could have done something. Insufferable. Yeah. Yeah, she was... 
<laughs> I mean, in a way, they just kind of made her like Angela, but without the without committing to it. You know, she was just kind yeah, of yeah, yeah. You're right. She was, and she was kind of Angela E. So, um, man, yeah. Angela gets an amazing line in this episode. By the way, what is her line? Uh, when Wait, is it later? Uh, well, it's in the context of trying to plan the party. Okay. Let's yeah. save, save that for us okay. when we get to the party planning because yeah 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 I feel like we're gonna have things there. Um, I just want to read into the record. You've already referenced some of this stuff, but the um, conversation, <laughs> the conversation uh, between Pam and Michael, and this is after he's he's um, come in, and now Pam is in his office, and they're having a meeting. So Michael says, you know, I had never been out of the country before now. Pam, huh? It's just funny because it feels like so obvious for Michael. Like, obviously you haven't been out of the country. He Because he's just such a, I don't know, he doesn't have, he doesn't have the air of someone who's like super well-traveled and has been around the world and, and that kind of thing. So I just, there's just something funny to me about the way he says that I'd never been out of the country before now. Like, did you know that? And Pam's probably like, yeah, I knew that. Um, but anyway, Michael, got to see how Jamaicans live. It's great, you know? They just relax. They party all the time. Pam, it's kind of an impoverished country. Michael, yeah, gosh, great. You know what, Pam? Make a note. I want all of us to start having pina coladas every day at three. Pam, but you can't today. We're doing inventory. Michael, inventory's at the end of December. Pam, we couldn't do it without you, so we postponed. Michael, I specifically went on vacation, so I would miss it. <laughs> so, so many things here. I love it that he went on vacation so he would miss it, and that he directly admitted that. Mm -hmm. It's just funny and interesting, you know, what he takes away. So he takes away from resort life, where you have pina coladas every day at three, that that's how Jamaicans live, <laughs> you know, that the right. Jamaicans just relax and party all the time. Like Jamaica is one big sandals. Um, and so it goes to the things you were, you were starting to say about like the kind of quote lessons that he learns from Jamaica that he wants to import into the office, which very conveniently his takeaways are that like, you don't really work and you just yeah. relax all day um and play the steel drum so then it goes into uh his interview and he says inventory is boring in the islands they don't make you do stuff like take inventory why do you think so many businesses move to the caymans <laughs> uh. so funny. both so his like not understanding and i say this as if i understand understand but whatever the kind of tax benefits or tax evasions are that you get if you move to the caymans but um his, yeah, so his things and his, his ideas about the islands, because we also have his idea about kind of importing things he learned from Jamaica, but that it just turns into a Hawaii-themed party. Right. So there's also this, like, blending, right, of the islands as just being one kind of generic, relaxing fantasy. And there's just something interesting about what our need is to have a paradise like that idea of the islands as this paradise that's just out there and as as um pam's comment it's kind of an impoverished country gets in there so quickly 
Yeah. And so efficiently and elegantly, I think the way that that is a fantasy and I think particularly his ideas about escape, that inventory is boring. And this encouraged me, sorry to be so nerdy, but this encouraged me to go pull a book off my shelf that I haven't read in a while. Um, but it's A Small Place by Jamaica. Uh, I was just going to bring this up. Oh yeah. my gosh. Okay, start us off. I've got a selection to read. So why don't you start us though? No, 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 no. I was just, I, as you were talking, I was like, oh my God, we have to talk about Jamaica Kincaid's A Small Place, which I also love to teach. And it just is mind-blowing. So yeah, yeah, yeah. It is mind-blowing. It is mind-blowing. Um, so it's from 19, 1988. And she writes specifically about Antigua, um, which I always want to pronounce Antigua, but I think it's correct, is Antigua. Um, but so she writes about the idea of this small place and a lot about tourism, about colonial history, about slavery, about the government, about all of this stuff and it just makes it's just so revealing about how very complicated these beautiful paradise lands are you know like the tourists think of as paradise and so i wanted to read this paragraph that um really stood out to me and connected so much to the way he's talking about inventory actually and kind of what he's getting and going there so um she writes that the native does not like the tourist is not hard to explain. For every native of every place is a potential tourist and every tourist is a native of somewhere. Every native everywhere lives a life of overwhelming and crushing banality and boredom and desperation and depression. And every deed, good and bad, is an attempt to forget this. Like how fitting for that is also the office too. We talked a little bit about the, you know, the America, the Uncle Sam, this idea of like to be um, this representation of American life as characterized by overwhelming and crushing banality and boredom <laughs> and desperation and depression. Anyway, continuing on. Every native would like to find a way out. Every native would like a rest. Every native would like a tour. But some natives, most natives in the world cannot go anywhere. They're too poor. They're too poor to go anywhere. They're too poor to escape the reality of their lives. And they are too poor to live properly in a place where they live which is the very place you, the tourist, want to go. So when the natives see you, the tourist, they envy you. They envy your ability to live your own banality and boredom. I'm sorry, to leave your own banality and boredom. They envy your ability to turn their own banality and boredom into a source of pleasure for yourself. Mm. I was like, damn, this paragraph is um, totally, totally speaking to exactly this tourist dynamic and exactly what's happening with Michael. And I thought it was really interesting that like, there's that desire on both sides of it. Like we all want to be able to escape and get away and break out of our own boring lives, but it's uneven how we get to do that. And kind of what is he, like when you go into Jamaica and you see it's such a source of pleasure for yourself, but how do you then take you know, the people who are around you, who are there serving you, who are working, like they're not actually on pina colada at three o'clock every day time. Right, right, right. Yeah, I mean, I think that that's why in some ways when you asked me, you know, is this a good commercial for sandals? I, actually, I think it is mm -hmm. in that, you know, like we see 
all the ways in which Michael is rejuvenated and yeah. it perpetuates in that sense exactly the logic of or the the image of tourism that you're describing in which it is this space of ignorance for the predominantly white you know tourist um who doesn't have to think about all of the infrastructures you know that are crumbling in um in and around you but you don't see that right or like uh you know i mean i think like the the episode really makes it as a space of like food leisure and sex like it's a space for sexual yeah. rejuvenation yeah the depleted um uh, yeah uh corporate boss and yeah. it is interesting that the episode opens up with his his in his absence and all the workers are essentially you know in another mundane banal meeting and Jim is like first off we're supposed to be pushing cardstock this week so mm -hmm. let's push cardstock this week like even the redundancy of the phrasing captures yeah. the routine nature and then also to push cardstock is just a meaningless um act and you yeah. know detached from any greater purpose or or whatever and so yeah no I, I I love that you brought that up because I do think the episode or at least the that momentary line from Pam opens up this potential yeah. critique um yeah yeah I was looking on the Sandals Montego website and there was this one image that was really striking to me and it's in some ways kind of similar to the Michael and Jan picture but it's of a um a white couple and they're sitting on lounge chairs in front of the absolutely gorgeous water and the woman is kind of leaning over and lounging and the man is sitting next to her and they're both white and there's a black guy who's who's coming over with drinks to serve them and they're in kind of beachy wear, but he's wearing a white shirt, a bow tie, a gold vest, black pants, and white gloves. And so there's just something like the intense formality, like that intense service formality, that there is something so um, colonial and like something so unsettling about the image. Yeah. And at the same time, the truth is, I look through a lot of these pictures of Sandals Jamaica and it's like, wow, this place looks amazing. Right. You know, and it looks really, really fun. And those are both, those things are both a part of it. So it's just, there's this kind of uncomfortable um, aspect of it and aspect of tourism. Because I want to say, like, I'm not out, outside of that desire too, of like looking at this place and thinking it looks so fun. Like the pool looks great. The drinks look great. I think that that's what's so smart about Jamaica Kincaid is that she's like the the native, so to speak, wants the same exact Everybody thing. Wants yeah. Everybody yeah. wants this. So I just I always love that piece because like it really makes it about class and power and privilege. It's mm -hmm. not about um, identity. It's about where one falls in this like structure, yeah. this political economy of that is racialized and and global. But yeah, I'm on the website now too. And like, and I, but I always remember, you know, just like the commercials for these kinds of things. And they often have that iconography of like a black servant, you know, in mm -hmm. formal, you know, grand formal wear. And a lot of these, most of these photos, all of the figures of service are black people, even though some of them very occasionally have 
the tourist being a person of color, but mostly um, not. And so, yeah, there's that. I mean, that's an interesting context for Michael's response to Stanley, because mm-hmm. Stanley's basically like, my bonus check was $100 less than you promised. Um, Michael says, you know, payroll's in charge of that. They said, I should talk to you. I'm getting settled. You know, Stanley's like, I'm not going to work until I get my full bonus check. A thing that never comes back, by the way. But Michael says, you are not as much fun as your Jamaican brothers, Mon. And he's like brothers in an in a yeah, yeah. accent. Yeah. Um, you know, but like to the extent that Michael has interacted with any Black people or Jamaican people, one presumes they were the staff <laughs> right mm-hmm. and so this kind of you know who are who are creating the fantasy of leisure for yeah them. yeah exactly because that whole like yeah I'm, I'm sure it's sandals like they do do the haymon haymon back thing because it's like to yeah to create like you're saying to create that fantasy and that image and it's performance it's not um you know like the same as what they're doing on the outside but it's the the performance of that pleasure for the tourists to you know bring their money and tip and do all that it's interesting too because Stanley refuses he's refusing to do more work which is also the thing that Michael is trying to do so he actually is in some ways being like the Jamaican brothers that as Michael describes them right as always relaxing and not working um yeah and yeah in here it's like it's a refusal right it's like a calling attention to the power yeah it's like you haven't paid me to work yeah yeah i think it's interesting that on the one hand michael you know so he's bought into the fantasy and he's taking it as real which is what you're saying you know yeah yeah and that like demonstrates the classic michael kind of stupidity and then it also captures michael's um uh i don't know his wayward generosity right like mm-hmm. because one way to read this is like you know the boss goes on vacation nobody else gets to go on vacation but michael is sweet and he wants to bring back this experience to everybody else in doing so he is yeah. kind of trying to be generous even as he is also being self-centered or it, he he reminds me of um you know the person who goes abroad for the very first time and then come back and like can't stop talking about it which mm-hmm. not for nothing, I definitely was that person. Like I didn't leave the country or take any big trip until I was in grad school and I went to Peru and then like, believe me, every chance I could to say Peru in a sentence, I did because, you know, I wanted to be worldly and cosmopolitan and, you know, uh, and, and on the one hand, I feel like kind of, uh, whatever, I don't, you know, it's like, silly and and embarrassing but um i remember when i was teaching at a for one year i taught in private education and i went to a um anyway so i was teaching at a particular school i won't name and uh but it was you know much more elite than any other place i ever taught or have ever taught again and i would come into class and the students just didn't understand certain things like i remember telling them about working at a video store and i thought they didn't understand because um they didn't know what video stores were, but mm-hmm. were like, what do you, what do you mean you were working? Like when you were, oh, and I was like, I was like, well, didn't you ever have like a summer job? And somebody was like, do you mean like an internship? And I was like, no, 
I don't mean like an internship. And so anyway, they, um, I remember I came into class one time and they were playing a game and it was like, who hasn't done X? And it was like, and so one of the things they said was like, who hasn't vacationed on a private island? Hmm. And I was the only one who had a vacation on a private island. And that was mind blowing to me that all of these like 18 year olds, like, so, so like, there's just this level of like privilege and cosmopolitan elitism that I feel like we don't even have access to sometimes or don't even know about. And it was just <laughs> mind blowing to me. Um, and so, but I picture Michael as like that, that kind of like, he's gotten this tiniest glimpse into you know, the cosmopolitan world or what he thinks yeah. is, but it's just yeah. a resort. And what he doesn't understand is that resorts are like, you're not allowed to leave the resort, right? They, because, you know, they won't let you, they, they lock you in basically. And it's like, you're only going to be eating this prepackaged curated experience, food and, and, and drink. And, you know, um, mm -hmm. you're not going to actually see Jamaica right. in its yeah. reality. Um, for all kinds of reasons, political, economic, racial, et cetera. Um, anyway, so anyway, but it is amusing then that he attempts to recreate it and does so in the warehouse because the warehouse yeah. is kind of marked as a space oh. of color, right? It's Daryl is the boss of the warehouse and it is also like um, a space of labor. It is a more working class space so like mm. there's this interesting irony of like the resort is within a space within an impoverished space. Oh God, Tyler, and like that's the, so smart. I just, it's just an interesting. I don't know. And then of course, like the the steel drum gets um, um, <laughs> run over by the by the laborer. You know the 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 machine wow. laborer of the warehouse. Oh my gosh! Wow. Amazing. That's amazing. Should we talk about that picture? <laughs> I guess so. <laughs> okay. So in the picture, uh, the famous picture, Jan is laying down on a lounge chair and she's got the two-piece swimsuit. She's got the bottom part on, but the top part is off and she's like laying face down tanning. Um, but her face is turned toward the camera so we can see her. And Michael is behind her with a sandals t-shirt on and his arms stretched out kind of exhibiting her. And this first comes out because he's on a phone call with Todd Packer. And one little fun detail I found in there as he's on that conversation, he has a coconut sitting on top of his um, world's best boss cup. But he's talking to Packer and I guess back to Dwight wanting to record and the power of documentation and like being able to show the truth, Packer is like not getting interested. So Michael tells Packer, Hey dude, I just got back from Jamaica. Packer, big whoop. I was in hot Lana. That town is, that whole town is waxed. Michael. Yeah. That sounds amazing. You know what? The lady Jan Levinson wanted to go to Montego Bay. Packer, you took the ice queen. I don't buy it. Michael. Well, I'm looking at a photo right now and I'm telling you it could be a Maxim. Packer. They wouldn't let you have a subscription to Maxim. <laughs> Michael. Oh no. Packer. No. Michael. Okay. Well, check this out. I'm sending you some email and you can see him having the moment of kind of deciding 
thinking like, okay, I need to show this to Packer. Am I going to send it? And then he sends it. Um, so it was interesting, just that need to, it was interesting what this meant for his relationships to men in, in the office and to Packer, both when he goes down later, once the warehouse is discovered and blown up this picture and they are clap standing and clapping for him, giving him a standing ovation basically. And for Packer too, but there's this necessity of demonstrating and kind of proving your conquest. Mm -hmm. And so he sends the picture to Packer and oh that moment he types in packaging or it comes up as packaging at dundermifflin.com instead of packer at dundermifflin.com and very quickly packer receives it from someone else because it starts circulating tyler what are your thoughts about this this image its circulation michael's i don't know reaction um, well, let me ask you, why do you think they all start forwarding it around? Like, why does it go to Packer? Mm -hmm. That's a good question. There's something so, hmm. I was thinking about that. Like, what is that meaning of, or that allure of banging your boss? Because it seems like, She's well, so clearly, like he's there with she's got her top off. Like, clearly, this is not a, not that it would be a friendship vacation anyway, but like, clearly, this is an intimate vacation, right? Jan, I'm just kind of trying to like think this out a little bit. Jan is their boss, so she's above all of them, and so there are all of the tensions that come from that. And there's the way that she's reduced in this when she is basically conquered like i think there's a kind of conquest feel to it right um by michael sorry i accidentally did that right thing that we both hate <laughs> oh, <no. laughs> um it's a professional but, uh so it's yeah it's like it's it's salacious it's someone from the top that's kind of being brought down in some way it's very gossipy like it, it just in itself it's like fodder for sending around. I think, I mean, you're hitting on, I mean, something that is, you're explaining to me kind of the undercurrent of um, the objectification and the male kind of ego thing that's playing out is like, it really, it's not just about, I, you know, bedded this like woman or this attractive woman, but like mm -hmm. specifically my boss. Yeah. Um, so I think that's a really interesting point and it helps explain the warehouse response when he comes yeah. down, I guess, and the it sees the, the photo blown up on the wall, right? And they're all clapping and uh, somebody's, you know, the corporate booty or something like that, right? Yes, um, yeah, corporate booty. Uh, uh, and Roy says, you're a rock star. You're the man, well done. Um, yes. Which seemed, you know, obviously gross to me but i was also like slightly confused because mm -hmm. i was like are they teasing him you know they're always the, the people in the warehouse are always taking any opportunity to tease michael and like bring him down a peg. Yeah, that's a good point so i was like is this a, a kind of subtle but i don't think it is they seem to be genuinely 
I don't I, know. Yeah, I felt like they were sincere, genuinely impressed. And partly, Packer calls her the ice queen, partly because I think she's a figure of withholding pleasure from them. Right. And being, you know, kind of cold and kind of distant and very unlikable in that way. But so here's this, like, he has busted through, like, literally and figuratively, um, into the Ice Queen's palace. <laughs> and uh, they're excited about it. I love that the picture is called Jamaica Jan Sun Princess, um, <laughs> which is an interesting contrast to Ice Queen is Sun Princess. Yes, Sun Princess. And yeah. like, it's a demotion uh, in royalty from queen to princess. Um, oh and, right. Yeah. And it's a shift from ice to sun. So like she thawed out or whatever. But yeah, yeah, uh, yeah, exactly. By the act of um, male yeah. conquest or something like that. But I don't know. I mean, I get, I mean, Packer is gross and, um, and he, disgusting. he sort of tricks, not tricks at all. I shouldn't say that. He, he sets up a, a situation, a familiar discursive uh, situation in which Michael, the only way that Michael can kind of prove his um, story is to yeah. send a picture as yeah as we used to say in the 2010s pictures or it didn't happen. Right. Yeah. So this goes back to your point about the recording, you know, at the beginning. You said pics or it didn't happen. Oh, my bad. My, oh, I'm sorry. It's I'm, so old. I'm, uh, so, I'm so old. Uh, <laughs> but um, uh, the, you get the impression that, that Michael feels really bad. Don't you go ahead? Sorry. Yes. Yes. No, no, Totally. I do. I think he feels really bad. And I think he has a moment of wavering before he even sends it. And I don't know if I should feel for him here, but I do, because like you said, you know, Packer is setting up this thing where he has to prove like for it to be interesting, he has to prove it. And I can feel for Michael in that idea and that kind of pressure of masculinity and like to show the only way for him to get Packer interested and we know he looks up to Packer and thinks he's so cool and all of that and Michael has this thing that happens and it has happened and he has documentation of it and so it's like the language of you know being a I don't know how do you describe this like a, a cool man a cool impressive man and so that's I don't know if this is going to sound really insensitive to say or something but it's like that's the language that's there for him and so to me it's understandable that he wants to speak it yeah I think it's a good uh I don't know how much the show I mean the show is like the episode isn't really like about this in the way that um other episodes have been about kind of masculinity or toxic masculinity or whatever. Like this episode is, but it isn't, I don't know. But like, uh, but I think you're right. It demonstrates or illustrates the kind of structure of peer pressure that perpetuates sexism. Yeah. Right? And yeah. like, even for a, you know, Packer seems unabashedly and gleefully sexist, whereas yeah. Michael seems, you know, more ambivalently so and ignorant. Yeah. Yeah. And this, scene sort of demonstrates how sexism gets perpetuated by the the coercion or the the um yeah the force of that of the of the of the you know i don't know 
of the Packers who sort of set up the 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 discourse yeah. in a way that like Mike what is Michael's like alternative I mean obviously he should be like fuck you I mean he yeah. also should have just listened to Jan and kept <laughs> his cool and played it cool but like of course that's not the nature of a sitcom or this show oh, uh, Michael. and what's so funny then is it shows the kind of slapstick in a way of his like he he gives in to Packer to kind of prove his masculinity but then instantly is like fumbling trying to like retrieve it and like put a lid on it and that's what's so relatable and cringe inducing because a we've all sent an email that we didn't intend to send or that we regret sending like it's both of those he sent it to the wrong person and he regrets it um and then but why does daryl send it out you know i mean it's daryl <laughs> i yeah because i think the yeah packaging emails go to daryl <laughs> i think daryl's reaction is just so funny well first of all when so dwight dwight <laughs> no oh no this is just this this is not yet the dwight thing but um so when Michael realizes that he sent it to packaging, he runs through the hallway. I love the scenes of running. Always one of my favorite things. So just want to make that about that. you. So he runs to the warehouse and goes into Daryl's office. Daryl is sitting with his feet up. He's eating lunch. Um, and Michael says, okay, hey, man, how's it going? Daryl, all right, what's up, Mike? Michael, that's great. Okay, um, did you get an email from me? Daryl, Yep. Michael, okay, well, that was supposed to go to Packer, not packaging. Did you already um, forward to a whole bunch of people? Daryl, uh-huh. Michael, okay, um, well, did you get the second email I sent explaining that the first email was a mistake and that you should delete it? Daryl, yep, and you sent that out to everyone? Daryl, Mike, I'm very busy down here, and he continues eating his lunch. Um, I thought Daryl, just these one-word answers and response you know he so clearly knows that michael is freaking out and he just remains so calm and i don't know i just i got nothing to say about it other than that i thought it was very funny i mean it's definitely daryl getting his revenge to a degree right uh mm-hmm. on michael for all of his uh i don't know <laughs> all the way like the times he's destroyed the warehouse and yes know, um it's so interesting how it becomes this object of power. So it's a way for Michael to get some to deal with this power situation between him and Packer and get some prestige initially in his goal of sending it. And then it becomes a thing of power for you know Daryl to withhold it, but kind of withholding something from Michael by sending it out to everybody. It's interesting too, different people's relationship to it. Like, like for example, Jim says, "Yikes!" Kevin yeah. says, already sent it to you, my friend. Jim says, <laughs> and I was kind of like, "What is it that? Why does Jim want it or whatever?" But Andy's reaction, I thought, was very like, "I was like, he is such a creep." Um, <laughs> he says, "Boring. Call me if she rolls over." Um, but it's also kind of interesting too because. There is a, a there is a reading of that image as like not very interesting as as mm-hmm. more. Um, yeah, yeah, so, that's true. Like it is just like especially now compared to what people would post on Instagram or social media. But so true. As yeah. you say, it's all about the power relation. Yeah. So there's also Toby's 
reaction. And I thought it was really funny with Toby. So Toby comes to Michael's office and Toby says, hey, I need to talk to you right now. Michael, not now, not ever. <laughs> I love that response. And Toby says, Michael, nine different people emailed me that photo, including my ex-wife. We don't talk now. Michael, this is probably just the icebreaker you need. <laughs> As I go to this, I realize I actually don't know that I have anything to say about it other than that I liked it. But Toby is there. He says, you know, to protect yourself, if you have a relationship with a superior, you need to report it. Um, but Michael, <laughs> Michael kind of turning it on Toby, like, <laughs> like he's a pervert and he's, you know, really excited to like, listen or not to listen, to be able to see this and kind of get more information about it. Um, says, let's see. Uh, I bet you love, Michael says to him, I bet you love all the details. Wouldn't you skeevy, skeevy little perv? Um, but Toby, you know, I got to hand it to him here. Always the, always the professional. He, he holds it together. He does his job. He tells him what he should do in terms of HR. And of course, Michael doesn't do it. I thought Toby was lovely here. Uh, as you can imagine, I just thought he was so yeah. sweet and he is genuinely protecting Michael, I think, or attempting yeah. to, he's doing his yeah. job. He's doing his uh, job. And uh, <laughs> there's a lot in here that, you know, the ex-wife line is hilarious, but also um, Michael's like, I'm not dating Jan. She was very clear about that. Yeah. <laughs> Just two like souls having a romantic time in the most romantic <laughs> place on earth. Got enough weirdo, uh, you know, so like he thinks that's what's disclosing, not, you know, and, you know, basically like, I don't know, yeah. Uh, yeah. putting it on record or something, but um, yeah. Yeah, I just thought it's interesting because that underscores the other aspect of this power relationship, which is that Michael is the um, like she's Michael's superior. So as much as yeah. people are perceiving it as some sort of conquest over the boss, yeah. it's also yeah. like, hey, you know, there's a power dynamic here. You're at risk. Um, yeah, that's true. And he can't just like he's afraid yet once he sent this thing out. right? Like, he can't just easily get away with that. So maybe we should talk about the interactions between Michael and Jan. Then. Right. So first of all, the phone call. <laughs> Jan calls, Pam picks up. Michael thinks it's going to be that, you know, she's received this picture and he's in trouble. I think it is so amazing. His reaction when Pam tells him that Jan is on the phone, Michael says, oh, God, no, 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 hang up, hang up. Tell her I'm not here. Tell, tell her I ran out for cash. I hit a deer. I hit a deer with my car. And then he gets really quiet. He says, tell her I hit a cat. Tell her I hit a cat. He <laughs> says, he'll call you back. Okay, yeah. great. And then Michael asks, she bought it. <laughs> And then Dwight asks Jim and Ryan, Michael hit a deer? <laughs> it just Michael, when he's desperate and freaking out, is so funny. And yeah, why he goes, this is the thing that he comes up with. He hits a deer, but then he edits it to a cat. Oh, Michael. <laughs> he's under a lot of stress right now. 
But then when Jan shows up, she also lies uh, in a strange way, but not to Michael, to Kevin. Uh, yes. Kevin says, you look tan. I love when Kevin is like kind of, um, I don't know, being like uh, an instigator or something. Yes, you know? um, yes. So he's like, she's like, I was in Scottsdale visiting my sister. Yeah? How was it? <laughs> Very sunny. Family's important. Uh, Michael, I would like to speak with you in your office. Um, but just Kevin's face in that interaction is so gleefully impish um, that I really love that. Yeah. Uh, so then we get this big scene with Michael and Jan. Um, there's a lot to say about it. But my favorite aspect is before it ends, like, but, okay, so they're gonna, it's gonna culminate with them kissing and her basically being like, let's have a relate or let's try to have a relationship. But what mm -hmm. I love is, um, like, Michael says, so um, thanks for coming by. Uh, and she's like, well, good. Okay, thank you for taking the time. And Michael's like, well, thanks for coming over. I appreciate. I just love the like, that that is the language of 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 meetings, right? Like that's the, yeah. the banality of professional mm -hmm. uh, what you know, small talk, I guess. Or, or yeah. it's not even that. It's like it's like the discursive transition phrases or something. Yeah. It yeah. just cracks me up um, because that's it's such formal compared to what they're actually talking about. And so she says, yeah. to "Read it in the record, and then I need your hot take on Jan Levinson's." psyche uh she says in the last year i've gone through a divorce and identity theft which did we know about that um a husband who would not communicate this is neither here nor there my psychiatrist thinks that i have some self-destructive tendencies and that for once i should indulge them you following me i think i owe it to myself to find some kind of happiness you know i mean even even if it means lowering my expectation <laughs> or re redefining the word itself this is the kind of thing, you know, I, I am attracted to you. I don't know why, but I am. <laughs> and I need to follow my instincts. At least that's what Dr. Perry thinks. Uh, this is the point. Okay. You're wrong for me in, in, in every way, but I still find myself wanting to be with you. <laughs> so that's Jan's side of the conversation. Meanwhile, Michael is just interjecting random, like who is Dr. Perry? Anyway, so what's your hot take on this grueling conversation? I love watching Michael during this conversation because like, he thinks he's about to get yelled at and, I don't know, probably fired for sending out this picture. But it seems like she just doesn't even know about this. She has not gotten word of it. But it's not about that at all. So watching him catch up and kind of seeing his disorientation as he's trying to follow along and insert little things. And the question, when Jan says, at least that's what Dr. Perry thinks, and he asks, who is Dr. Perry? Like, it's so off the um, topic, kind of even, like, Dr. Perry's been discussed, but like, that is not the point, Michael. Um, so I just really think it's very funny watching him. His totally confusing face. But when when she says that she's attracted to him and his eyes go to the camera, um, so he's very, I think he's just very, very surprised by this and trying to take in the information. This, Jan, who is your psychiatrist? 
Mm. I don't know. A couple things also. The psychiatrist. I don't think the psychiatrist is the one who you're having this level of processing with. Like the psychiatrist is the one who does the medication. Like the therapist, the psychologist or psychoanalyst or whatever is the person who it does the more extensive conversations. It feels like that's the technicality that's totally insignificant, but um, I don't know. Dr. Perry, I I'm curious about Dr. Perry. <laughs> I think you're raising some good ethical questions about Dr. Perry's uh, advice to indulge your self-destructive tendencies. That just seems not weird advice, right? (laughs) Yeah. It's also not clear. I mean, we don't, we have, I have not seen Jan do anything, especially self-destructive, right? Like I I don't, have we like, um, because she said, like, go ahead, sorry. And I guess because she's the ice queen, like we don't know, Sorry, am I adopting that phrase too freely? Probably. But we don't really know that much about Jan. So with her divorce, for example, she's been mostly pretty private. She opened up a little bit in the conversation at Chili's. But because it feels like to me, because Jan is professional, like she's good at maintaining, at least up to this point, good at maintaining professionalism at work. And so we don't know that much about her. You know what I mean? We don't know that much personal stuff. Yeah. I think that's why this is so funny and interesting. You know, it's like we get, we're getting these like teeny tiny glimpses in the context of her saying something that she has practiced saying in therapy to some degree. Yeah. Yeah. And so, but also it's so cruel what she's saying to Michael. Oh my gosh. It's so sad. It's so cruel, you know, to lower my expectations or redefine the word. Um, and it's like, you're wrong for me, but, uh, I want to be with you. Uh, and, and we, we realize there that like, because that's what's so uh, for better or worse. I mean, we could make an ideological critique uh, for sure that the episode basically like, you know, has this woman objectified, but in no way is that like the narrative problem, you know, uh, like nobody's discussing like how this could get her in trouble with like her it would threaten her career or whatever you know um but we think that she's going to show up and be upset about that to some or um she asked him to keep it quiet but it's clear the reason she asked him to keep it quiet is because she's embarrassed by him not like the anyway i don't know but it's just crushing to 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 hear her articulate that to his face and him sort of seem to get it but also kind of not get it yeah yeah uh, and then he says you complete me from jerry Maguire." it's so cringy and she says oh god <laughs> you know um i, I don't that's know supposed to be i went to that jerry Maguire clip and that's supposed to be the other i feel like the, there it has in that scene these two very famous lines that kind of escape the context of the movie itself, just into the culture. There are like lines for declaring your love. And there's Tom Cruise saying, you complete me. And then Renee Zellweger saying, you had me at hello. Right. So Jan, so that's kind of the expected, or Michael's, you know, you complete me, which he also makes so awkward because he points at her at the you, then draws a heart and then points at himself. (laughs) Like he's doing this kind of sign language along with the statement, but it sets up. And in that movie, it's, it is this 
dramatic moment of her responding and you know, you had me at hello, like you don't even have to keep going. Yes, absolutely. And so it's so funny then for Jan just being like, oh God, <laughs> you know, what have I gotten myself into? Yeah, uh, I'm really excited to see where this relationship takes us. And uh, <laughs> my vague memories of some bits are, yeah, I'm really excited. Um, so one thing that we should talk about is how the episode contrasts this um budding relationship <laughs> with two other relationships or technically three but we have karen and jim jim and pam pam yeah. and boy um and yes. so working backwards i'll just say it's it's interesting that the episode basically ends with pam and roy and roy say i mean it ends with kevin taking the the poster but right before that um he's saying remember we were planning our honeymoon you wanted to go to hawaii i wanted to go to mexico he says i was definitely right they laugh and he says oh brother and i'm not quite sure what we're supposed to get out of that i mean i narratively i think we're supposed to get the vibe that like because pam is crying about the closeness forming between jim and karen partly as a result of her intervention that we're seeing Roy and Pam potentially reunite. So I get that narratively, but just I wasn't quite sure what to make of the actual joke itself, because other than that, this is Jamaica, not Hawaii. I, I don't know. Um, did you have a thought on that? I, I'm glad you brought the scene up because I love this scene. Interesting. And I think Roy is incredibly charming here. Um, I could give Roy a hottest in the office award, honestly, for this particular moment. Mm-hmm. Um, so let's see. I just, I think it's so funny, this kind of after a long time has passed sort of, and I told you so moment, I was definitely right. So even though Michael was trying to bring Jack back Jamaica, what he has done is created this kind of, you know, only stereotypical Hawaii, but Hawaii themed party and so I just also think it's so funny he says I was definitely right like he takes jokingly takes the party as if it is an actual representation of Hawaii uh, uh-huh. so I think that that is point. really funny and I think there's also just a sweetness in this moment because now even if they've broken up to be engaged to somebody as they were for multiple years to live together, to plan a wedding. Like they've shared a lot of life together. You know, they still, they have a lot of history. And so I just thought there was something really kind of sweet in this moment. And I liked it that they could go back to it and laugh about it. That's fair. I like that. And we, we see, we've seen peppering of that in, in earlier episodes, like when, um, at the Christmas party, uh, she's giving him advice about wrapping a gift or something like that. Yeah. And there's a, there's an, I don't know. Are you friends with any exes? I think there's a nice experience sometimes with exes. If you're on good terms, like where you have all this history and an intimacy, um, that allows, yeah, that, but, but that is like a background always. Um, mm-hmm. And can kind of, you can slip into that intimacy without necessarily slipping back into a, yeah. being together. Um, yeah, yeah. 
all, even if the narrative seems to be inching towards that. Um, yeah. But meanwhile, Jim is worried about Karen moving on the same street as him. Mm-hmm. She is upset with him. They've been processing it each night. She enters the um, meeting and doesn't sit next to him, sits next to Creed of all people. Um, of all people. <laughs> uh, which then leads Pam and Jim to have a conversation in the break room where Pam says, basically, give her a break. Mm-hmm. Uh, then later, um, Jim basically relents and uh what does he provide karen i was confused what the piece of paper is is it like a lease or a yeah i think it's i think it's the lease um and karen then thanks pam for talking sense into halpert using the last name much like the you know use of beasley uh, as jim does um and uh i mean it does there is a question raised there she said she was at the days in room 228 which begged the question for me of how like is she paying for that like to pay for a hotel room every night how many nights it adds up a lot yeah I hope, Dunder Mifflin, I hope Dunder Mifflin gave like moving costs or something like that um and then this culminates with so uh, basically it sounds like Karen's going to move close and and Pam in an incredibly touching scene cries as Dwight comforts her so that's kind of the arc of the plot um but yes. my question for you is is Jim right <laughs> I don't think so. I, I think Jim is wrong. And and partly because she's paying for a hotel. Like it's gotta be, well, I mean, maybe Dunder Mifflin has put up something for the transition time, but um she just needs to get out and she needs to get somewhere. So I I don't think Jim is right about this. Are you are you team Jim here? Oh, they've only been dating a month and she wants to live on the same street. However, I had questions about like how far away, what is it? A block or something? I don't, anyway, whatever. I, here's my thing. No, I think Jim's wrong in principle because she moved states for him. However, I do have questions about that. Like, did she move? I mean, she knew she wanted to be with him. So Mm -hmm. to what extent, did they did she make that move with a kind of reciprocal understanding you know what i mean like if she moved for him but without communicating that to him then i don't think he has any obligation to her like but if he said i want to or she said i want to move to be with you and he's like cool i want to be with you too then i do think he needs to be a more um he needs to make more of an effort you know what Mm -hmm. i mean but, um, and also in principle, he's wrong too, because yeah, it's like, as Pam says, they're already close enough. What's the big deal? And uh, she needs a place to stay. Scranton is not that big. And it would be nice, I would imagine, to walk to and from, yeah, you know, your your partner's um, house. However, mm-hmm. there is part of me that's like, just emotionally, if it's early in mm-hmm. a relationship, early in a relationship and the idea of moving close i can i can see his point of view a little bit uh yeah. even if i think uh he's ultimately wrong yeah i actually i agree with you because i think emotionally that it totally makes it totally makes sense and he also in the last episode said the thing Something like, you know, at the end of the day, it was that conversation with Michael and he says, you know, but at the end of the day, you're left thinking about the girl who you really like. Yeah. 
giving advice to Michael, but an implication that it's that he's still thinking about Pam. Right. Um, So I completely understand his feeling like the emotional not wanting her there, but it seems like one of those things where what you want and your emotional response is not the thing that's really fair. (laughs) Right. Um, I just feel awful for Karen in every way because she has no idea what he's yeah. really saying is like, I don't want to be with you. Like, that's what it really is. Yeah. And she Which thinks is- it's a typical guy with commitment issues. Yeah. I I really, really liked a lot the conversation between Pam and Jim where she changes his mind. Yes. They're in the break room and he's sitting drinking a coffee or something and looking kind of down and Pam asks if he's okay and then asks, are you sure? And she asks, do you want to talk about it? And he says, really? Um, Like, oh, I didn't know that we could talk about this. Mm -hmm. And I just thought it was this really sweet friendship moment where they do talk through it. And she kind of says, you know, I think you should go easy on her. And, you know, how far really is it compared to where you're at now? And at the end of the conversation, Jim thanked her or something. Um, and she says, oh, don't worry about it. I mean, it's better than listening to Michael play a conch shell, which is what I was doing. Oh, also, Michael went to Jamaica with Jan. Jim, oh, yeah. How have we not talked about that already? I mean, what happened there? Kidnapping? And I just thought this was beautiful. I thought it was really enjoyable that especially, so both, I thought it was both a sweet friendship moment, her listening to him, giving him advice, kind of talking through what he was feeling about that. But then also hear the fun of their friendship and that being one of those things like, this is the kind of thing that we need to process together, that we need to talk yeah. about it. How have we not done this? And yeah. so I felt like that showed their friendship. And in terms of their relationship, the thing being that's most compelling about them is their friendship and that pleasure they take in talking to each other. Yes, yes, yes. I thought it was incredibly sweet of Pam and mm-hmm. I thought it was, but also correct. Like if she's saying that she wants to be friends, then, you know, and it's nice to see their thawing kind of and yeah. trying to figure out how to be friends. Yeah. Um, it's also an interesting reversal. How long, how many times did Jim listen to Pam? Yeah. Talk about her relationship struggles with Roy. That was in some ways a big yeah, thing for their friendship. It's also interesting because in some ways, Jim is in this scenario being like Roy in that Roy would struggle Mm. to commit. um, But at the same time, perhaps he's also like Pam because Pam kind of deferred and deferred certain things that she wanted as well. I don't know. So I thought it was an interesting reversal of their typical dynamic. and then it's really moving to me when Pam is crying. And I just love Dwight coming in and he says, who did this to you? Um, and it's just so goddamn well. Who did this to you? Where is he? And then he takes off his coat and ties it around his waist and says it's hot in here. Like, so funny because you're like, you think he's going to give her the coat and be generous. Yeah. He doesn't. <laughs> but then he gives her the handkerchief. And you're like, oh my God, you know, that is really sweet. But then he's like, so you're PMSing, you know, it's just great writing played by two great actors because you, you get all of those notes of Dwight's like, 
story and his good intention mixed with his um whatever stupidity and 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 misogyny or whatever i don't know his uh yeah um slash lack of imagination so uh combination this episode is because it's one where i laugh so hard and it is also so profoundly touching Mm -hmm. and i think that this is such a beautiful beautiful scene it's this show i feel like is unique in what it is able to do with emotionally even just packed within this little tiny piece um so first of all in terms of the way that dwight thinks about the kinds of things that could hurt women so first of all it's like a threat you know like it's an external male threat who did this to you where is he you're Um, right yeah then when he ties the jacket around his waist it's so funny when he sits down next to her he gently puts his arm around her in a way that was very tender and sweet and then asks when he asks so you're pianosing pretty bad huh he says it in this way that is very it's kind of gentle and very sympathetic even though it's again dwight's he thinks of women so biologically right it's like everything then is this issue of like their body and hormones and just it's very you know out of touch with the range of things in your life that could make you feel emotional but it is all very kind yeah yeah i love it uh i only have a few little bits left um so uh well one one of them was a question for you so daryl says this is the greatest night of my life when he finds the ipod yeah did i forget when he lost that i don't remember that i don't think that's something we knew okay Maybe it was, unless I'm forgetting it, but I think it's just one of those things where inventory, you know, you do inventory and it turns up. Got it. Okay. Yeah. Um, Andy is especially good at the steel drums or whatever it is, the steel. um... Andy is very musical. And Kevin looks at him annoyed, um, which I really enjoyed. I enjoyed Kevin in this episode quite a bit. Yeah, Kevin Um, was really good. But if I may read into the record what my favorite one of my favorite lines of this episode. I hope um, this is from Angela. I was just going to ask you what your thing is. About here we go. Angela says, okay, we only have three hours, people, to plan a whole luau, and you're not helping. Karen, what are the ingredients of poi? Phyllis, I called every grocery store in Scranton, and no one sells whole pigs. Angela, did you try the petting zoo? Come on. Brilliant. Brilliant. It's so goddamn funny and brutal she is just brutal um and i believe that she would like get a baby pig or whatever from the petting zoo and slaughter it just so that she planned the perfect party um and so while i don't respect her methods i respect her vision (laughs) she leads a fierce committee meeting yep Um, did you have any thoughts about her outfit she had a a Dirt again that had this like ruffly turtleneck-ish collar, like a button-down shirt, but that goes all the way up the neck, ruffly white with a sweater. I had no thoughts on that. I did have thoughts on Karen's makeup, which I wrote. Oh. I was like, I like Karen's makeup. Hmm. <laughs> so yeah, uh, it's like a little pinkish, like a little yeah. sparkly. 
yeah, yeah. I thought it was yeah. cool. I think her eye makeup is interesting. Um, so we should really yeah. nice. I like her uh her necklace, which I think is a whale tail. Hmm. All right. Is that is that not what it is? I think oh. it's it looks like a tail, like a big, big kind of like flipper. Um I can look into that a little bit further. Is Ryan on the party planning committee now? That's a good question. He was in there for that meeting. He was. Maybe it's maybe it was a all hands on deck situation. <laughs> yeah, I think that's exactly what it was. It was urgent. Um, it was it was necessary to get as much help as possible. Well, Tyler, are you ready to go to Chili's? I am really. Re I actually am ready to go to Chili's. I'm hungry. Um, yeah, Chili's sounds really good. But uh, yeah, I'm ready. Um, we're and here I for the performance. We're here to give Dundies. Tyler, why don't you start us off? Okay. Well, for the Chivalry Award, it goes to Dwight K. Schrute. Um, nice. Because I just love the way that he comforts Pam. And also, I thought throughout this episode, he is kind of stupid, but very sweet. And I want, I actually wrote in my notes, like, are they making him dumber than normal? But I just love um, what they're doing with Dwight and the way that he tries to be there for Michael. And then, yeah, the way, especially the way that he is there for Pam was... Mm -hmm. Really lovely. Um, I also have the, um, uh, let's see, what do I want to call it? Um, the uh, uh, Self-Destructive Tendencies Award goes to Jan Levinson Gould, um, or no, just Jan Lev Levinson now. Um, while I did, I have problems to some degree with the plot, like kind of not addressing, like she's not, she doesn't really address the photo at all. Um, mm -hmm. And I have, there's upsides and downsides to that, but I just really admired the way that she is like, kind of puts all that aside and she's like, all right, let's do this relationship. Yeah. Um, and so I don't know, I kind of like that she's going to embrace it, even if um, it was also painful and cringy the way that she goes about yeah. it. So yeah, those are my two Dundies. Yeah. All right. Well, I am going to have, give out a couple of Dundies today. As I guess they're kind of tied in third place runners up, Roy and Pam, I, I just felt like they both had stunning performances in this episode. Um, and we talked about their scenes that I loved the most. So I felt like Pam in her um, kindness to Karen and to Jim, the very sweet crying in the hallway and talking to Dwight and Roy, I thought Roy was very funny when he was congratulating Michael on uh, the picture with Jan, but mostly his uh, joking around with Pam about his honeymoon destination choice. For second place, I want to give out the Jamaican Sun Prince Award to Michael Scott. He just is so funny in this episode and so, so good. And I get some scenes of him running in the hallway which I adore. But number one, the Springing Into Action Award goes to Dwight K. Schrute. I thought there were a couple of good moments of this when he he's the one who finds out that they've blown up the picture in the warehouse. And so he goes and tells Michael, emergency in the warehouse. Um, Michael asks at that point if there's an injury and he says something like, no, it has to do with a certain photo. Yeah. Um, so he's just really good. I also like it when Michael goes to him and he says, I have a special assignment for you. Dwight asks, who's the target? Yeah. Um, 
And then, you know, it's about dealing with this picture. So I felt like he really, he really did a good job with his special assignment. Um, but then springing into action to care about Pam in that moment was, was wonderful. So my number one goes to Dwight. Yeah, I love it. I agree. All right. Well, next time, I think we have some people going on a sales trip of some kind. Wait, I'm forgetting what it is called. It is. Oh, yeah. Traveling salesman. That's what I was. I was struggling to uh, to get down. Yeah. So that'll be our next episode. Thank you for listening, everybody. Thanks, everybody. Bye. <laughs>